We're beginning now a series of undetermined length, but it could go and quite possibly will go all the way to uh, Advent in the last week of November. It's a very broad topic, and it will have sections about certain things, and it will come from the Gospel of Luke. And so lessons on Luke's begin, not with the familiar passages that you're so aware of, but rather with some passages perhaps you're not quite as aware of. This one coming from Luke chapter 13, beginning reading with the 10th verse. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, There are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, don't, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said this, all of his opponents were being humiliated. And the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Now, you may be seated. There are many ways to look at this passage of Scripture. It has many places to jump off on, many places to approach it as we seek to understand it. Some things are more clear than others, but these different perspectives, when the text is examined about this event and what it means, can have very different kinds of meanings to each of us as we gather here. We could look at it from the perspective of Jesus healing in the synagogue and on the Sabbath. That's an obvious perspective. We can also look at it as a passage that is filled with symbolism, this crippled woman representing the community that has been neglected by the synagogue leaders. We can also look at this passage as the dilemma of the leader as a steward of religious institution and its traditions. Or another perspective could be it is about preserving rules to keep the faith and the danger that rules can come when they cause the community to be resistant to new ideas and the higher good. We can also look at this passage and realize it is a conflict between rules and law or grace and freedom. The letter of the law versus the purpose of the law. This passage was selected a couple of weeks back as the beginning of this sermon series. Little did I know that it would be so personally applicable to me in a very minor sense of the passage. That sense being that this passage is about all those things I just listed, but it's also about the heart of the synagogue leader and the heart of Jesus. It speaks to us 
about the way we worship and what we do in our places of worship. One of the things that is very hallowed to any pastor who's been called into ministry is the Sunday morning hour when people gather for a word of grace from God, a word of truth from God. And when the leader, after their preparation and their thoughts and the best thoughts that they could gather, stands up to deliver the message. And some Sundays, pastors are at their best, and some Sundays, pastors are not at their best for various reasons. But there always should be in every pastor's heart the heart and minds of the people to whom they are sharing the gospel. For the first time, in my mind at least, in more than 35 years, when I stood up and preached last week, what came out of my mouth was often in that message, not what God would have me say. The sermon preparation around the idea of never ever quit was a good theme, a theme meant to encourage and guide us and to um, give us the strength to move forward. But somewhere along the way, things went awry, and I got off the topic, and I got onto topics that do not present what I believe nor what I think. And I'm here this morning to confess that to you and to ask for your forgiveness. It is a very precious thing to stand before the people of God and share the word of God. And the speaker needs to be trusted that he has the heart of people uppermost in his thoughts, listening to the spirit and not just off chasing rabbits. And at least two very poignant moments last week, I failed to do that. The first time came when I talked about people who quit and whine. It was not said in a spirit of compassion. It was said in a, con- a condemning way. I especially lifted up people under age 30, talking about how they should not ever be depressed or need medication for pills. What did they have to be depressed about, I said. I said that if they would just endure and never, ever quit, things would be all right. That's not what I believe. In fact, I was so involved with what was going on that I was oblivious to what I said at that point, and that is the greater sin to me even than what I said. I was not self-aware. I was not thinking about others as I spoke those words. And greater than that, those words were coming from a heart that had a lot more anger, unresolved conflict in it than I wanted to admit. That's not an excuse because no excuse is worthy of the pulpit. That's just a statement of fact. If I'd have stopped there, it would have been bad enough. But I didn't. I went on to say that those who quit a church and leave are just going to take that kind of quitting poison to another congregation. That was mean-spirited, callous, and without merit. Going back to the first illustration, there are many reasons for people to be depressed in our world today, including those who are under 30, including those who are under 16. We live in a culture and in a climate where the stress is of a magnitude we've never seen before. And it affects teenagers and it affects children. And a lot of times, no matter how much they endure or how much they struggle, 
it's just not enough. They need the help of prescription medications to overcome what sometimes sneaks up behind them because of physical reasons causing that depression as well. I know that. I've counseled people through the years to go and seek that kind of help. I've told them that medications can be helpful, that counseling could be helpful, that they needed to be understood and supported. And then I stood up and said last week what I said. I'm surprised that any of you are back. Maybe you're just here to see what kind of... No, you're not here for that. There are many reasons to leave congregations. And because somebody is not being fed in a particular congregation doesn't mean that they can't be fed in a better way at another congregation. To, to say that just because someone leaves the congregation means they're going to be some kind of poison for the next congregation. It's so mean-spirited and so without merit that I don't want to talk about it anymore. I can say it's unlike me to criticize or to hurt any group when I preach, and I'm very often and most often very aware of what I'm saying and how it might impact somebody sitting out in the congregation. I try to always dispense hard truth to hear with words that are filled with grace and love and make it known that every one of us stumble and struggle. Normally, I think my preaching is meant to be very pastoral, protecting the most vulnerable in the congregation. Last week, I didn't do that. Part of the message was on target, but after those things that were said, I don't know how much of the rest of it you heard. It was the next day before someone brought it to my attention what I said. I said, oh, did I really say that? I went back and had that part of that sermon transcribed so I could read it, and I've been reading it quite a bit this week. And in reading it, I began to ask, why, God, would I be in that kind of place? Why did I do that? And I came up with many reasons, all of which are somewhat responsible for that, but the reasons aren't particularly important because they're not worthy the pastor who's preaching to use them. But it boiled down to something I need to do before I preach again this week. And so I did. I needed to ask God for forgiveness for what I had done and for what I had said. And then I need to ask the congregation for their forgiveness. And so I ask you for that forgiveness today. appreciate your response, but I want you to know that it will take some time for me to get over that. I preached a similar sermon out of anger. Actually, it was the first sermon I preached to my home church, and I was filled with self-righteous indignation. This past week, I determined that it was not self-righteous indignation at work, but it was unresolved anger and conflict in my own mind. It was my own willingness to forgive those who I perceived had hurt the church, hurt the ministry here, or the church's future. 
I don't get to choose who I forgive. And I've taught that over and over in my ministry. And yet here I was practicing it in my own life. I'm here to share with you that I hope that the synagogue official in this text sought forgiveness at some point in his life. Because he had made rules more important than his compassion for a person who was bent over by life. Just as surely as my words, as callous as they were, as hurtful as they were, hurt people who were here. It takes time to regain that trust back, and I will invest it here and give you my pledge that I will work very hard to be sure that whatever I'm saying is said in the right spirit and in the proper perspective so that the word of God and the grace of God can be dispensed without my being in the way of it. I want to move on from that, but I know I must dwell on it longer. Yes, I've spoken the words of forgiveness and asked for God's forgiveness, and I'm spoken to you, and I've forgiven the people that are involved in the things that are causing me conflict. But I will continue to probe deeper, looking for a full release from an unforgiving heart. As I've told others, I have told myself, no one who calls themselves a Christian can be unforgiving. There are times when it takes us a long time to forgive, but it should never be something, even when we're struggling to forgive someone, that we just push off to the side and neglect because the pain and the hurt from that will be passed on to others and in our own lives. And so I guess I would suggest to you that this morning, don't do what I did. When you've been hurt and you need to forgive someone, Find your place in God's presence and in their presence and ask for the forgiveness you need. For there are many reasons to leave a church, and a good one would be when the true gospel is not coming from the pulpit. I don't want to be the reason that anyone leaves a church because of that. And I trust that I will not be in that place again. And when I look at this passage of Scripture that we're referring to today, here comes in this woman who's bent double, the Scriptures say. If you picture that in your mind, you've seen many people as they've aged who've, who are fighting physical ailments that cause them to be bent over. Sometimes it's at the neck, sometimes it's at the waist, and sometimes it's, it's very much more debilitating than other times. One writer that I was reading about was describing as you can't really see what's ahead of you. You can't really see what's to the side of you unless you turn your whole body. Everything is out of perspective for the person who's suffering from that ailment. That person came to the church sick and overcome by disease and from an evil spirit, the text tells us. In other words, that person came seeking spiritual healing in the church that would manifest itself physically in her own life. Now, the rule says you can do no work on the Sabbath, and they had an elaborate system of determining what work was. And what Jesus did when he walked into that situation is, first of all, this woman didn't even ask for forgiveness. She didn't repent. She didn't change her life. She didn't do anything but show up in the house of worship for God's people gathered. And Jesus said to her, be healed. And he laid his hands upon her without her even asking. What an amazing act of grace that was for us who we often want people to be contrite before they're forgiven. 
We often want people to repent before we're forgiven. But in this instance, Jesus did not require any of it. Wouldn't it be powerful to think of the church as a kind of gathering where when people came in from out in the world of darkness and separation from Christ, that they could just walk into the climate of God's people and their sins would be forgiven and their ailments would be taken away and they would be free to come to Christ in complete love and grace. What a congregation that would be. What an experience that would be for them as opposed to hearing the church make proclamations about rules, about things people could or could not do. Churches form rules for purposes to protect the faith and the tradition that they represent. And I'm not standing up here today to say that rules are not important. They are. Rules are important. But rules are much more important Listen closely, in the general sense of the term, in guiding God's people, than they are in the individualistic ways in which people experience sickness and pain in their life. To the point so that if a rule comes up into crossing a person's understanding of God's love and compassion, love and compassion from God should, should outweigh the weight of a, of a legalistic sense of a law. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to say here. The law is good. He's not saying the Sabbath is not important. He's saying in this case that this is not work. This is a matter of grace. This is a matter of love and compassion for this person who's coming to the house of God who needs help. The church, in whatever way they can, needs to help at that point. The rules will come later. But a love for that person should outweigh the weight of a general rule meant to protect the body of the faithful. And this is a very hard thing to decide because we're not Jesus, right? I mean, yes, Jesus knew the true intent behind the law, and so he could make perfect decisions. And we don't always make perfect decisions, do we? Sometimes we really struggle with how to be graceful and still maintain a position that the rules are important of faith. It's not just us, it's the church in general, and it's not just this culture. It was true then, and it's been true in every culture. It is always difficult for human beings, sinful as we are, to interpret fully and be confident that when we set aside a rule temporarily to offer salvation to somebody in the way that they can receive it, that it's appropriate. I've always said that when I get to heaven, and I guess it's more obvious today than usual, when I get there, I don't want to be asked the question, how many rules did you keep? I don't want to be told how many rules I've broken. I just want to be told that I'm loved and that I'm forgiven by God and that I'm welcome in his kingdom. And I think that's true for almost everyone that everyone has a sense of their own brokenness, their own struggle. They're different. But every one of us has to grow into the kind of maturity that being a Christian and being involved in the body of faith brings to us. We can't get it in the early parts of going on. I don't think I could feel like I felt this past week if I just started preaching. I don't, I don't think so. I think it takes 
the enormity of what I've just been a part of to overwhelm me. And quite frankly, I didn't even tell Sally much about that. And that tells you how, how much it hurt. I knew she would have remedies for the problem. <laughs> I just couldn't, couldn't do remedies with anyone other than God first. It was good that she was with Sarah helping take care of the kids this week. Chad's at the prison today, and he has been a part of setting prisoners free. He has watched men who have done horrible things in their lives, and he's spoken words of forgiveness over him, them, not just him, but the whole team. And today, they will hear those stories of redemption from these people who, despite who they've been, have been forgiven and are ready to accept Christ. What a glorious ministry for the church. Isn't that what we're called to be? Isn't that who we want to be? We want to lay aside our preconceptions of people and our understanding of the rules or the right ways and offer love and compassion. And as we continue to talk about Jesus and the lessons from Luke, one of the things we're going to see is that Jesus was over and over again a man of compassion a man of understanding, a man who called people forward to a better life, but he accepted their sordid past because of his loving compassion for them. Last night, we celebrated Betty Bruce's life, and her favorite verses came from the Gospel of John, verses 17 and 18 in the third chapter. Not the traditional verse that everybody holds on to, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But the verse immediately following it, for Christ did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. It's important as we move on from this place where we've been in days past that we turn loose of anger and resentment toward other people, even toward God. We've been through painful times as a congregation. A month ago, our spiritual breath was taken from us and the loss of a loved one. It's been hap- it happened again at a more appropriate age, but the loss is still very painful to us as the body of Christ. Those that we share life with, those that we share love with, when they're no longer with us, it's pointless for us to pretend it doesn't hurt because it does and it should because love binds us together and makes us more than we will ever be without it these sabbath words remind us that we are god's people in the midst of god's story remembering jesus his life and his ways is always important to us and if we're going to be faulted because We are not enough, either enough legal or because we are too graceful. Let us choose being too graceful. Let us be guilty of being too compassionate and too forgiving and too loving as opposed to being too legalistic, too much tied to the rules and too unaccepting of those who are not like us. I believe that's the church that Jesus came to start and to form He came to give us the gift of grace so that we might give the gift of grace to others. It's not just about work on the Sabbath. It's about all that we do. 
several times this past week as Trivium was uh, <laughs> getting ready to start a school. If you just say that out loud, it sounds crazy. You're going to start a school. You've been working on it for two years, and one day they're going to show up. There's no ISD behind you. There's no set of rules. You've had to make them all up yourself. You've had to design your own curriculum. You've had to buy your own furnishings, and you'll not get paid until the middle of the first month after you've been working for two years. You'll never receive any money from the government. That's what they've just done. And then their home was kind of removed from them, and they had to come into the church. And all last week, I kept being told by several, thank you so much for Trevor. Thank you so much for all he's done. Uh, thank you so much for the staff and how nice they've been to our people who've come here. We know we've put you in a bad place. We've moved your stuff around. You're uncomfortable on Sunday mornings. People are working long hours to make Trivium a success, and we really appreciate it. Over and over and over again, they thanked us for the grace that this church has extended to their school. And if you were just here to see those 325 or 40, whatever it is, kids come in here from kindergarten to the sixth grade and to see them wander in the halls both some of our children who know these halls well and other children who came to a different experience even as one's mom told me today said mom it's just different we we really get to talk more and to do more this was a little boy talking we get to do more it's not just about sitting still and listening to a lesson we get to do stuff together and he said I don't know how they're going to keep all of us kids under control but he said I like it a lot better well, I don't know how they are either, and that's the one rule we have that we think is paramount. That is, that when the church staff gets here, we go into the office and close the doors. <laughs> and if you want to see us, you can come right up the stairs and see us in the office. But I looked at some of those little rooms and all those little kids, and I thought, thank you, God, for calling me to preaching and not to teaching little children. <laughs> and yet, on the other hand, their excitement and their joy. I can almost hear it today on Sunday for different reasons. And the faithful work of the people trying to set up carpools for 300 cars and not block the streets. They have been gifts of grace to each other. Though they don't call it grace, that's a church word, you know, they're not allowed to do that. But we get to call it grace, and some of them have come into our offices for prayer, and we've been able to share that with them. God is at work in this congregation, and I don't know if I've told you that enough. It's also occurred to me as I've been announcing what I've been doing for three years here that I've been a, kind of blindsided a little bit from the standpoint that I became so concerned about getting things accomplished that I have deviated from some of my past practices. I did it because I was afraid I couldn't get it all fixed before the retirement bells started going off. And then I started looking at you and you're going, aren't you ready to retire? I want to tell you that before you tell me that. And I think it caused me to have anxiety about what I've been doing and about the way I've been preaching. I'm thinking about that a lot. And I think I'm going to retreat back to the way I've preached a lot in the past. That message of grace and love, that grace of being patient, and that non-anxious presence of not worrying about the circumstances going on, but just trusting God, just like we sang in the first song today. It's hard to miss 
that kind of spirit. I don't know that I've ever heard Rachel sing that well before in that spiritual sense with her whole heart. It was a, it was a blessing for us all, and it has blessed us all. As we get ready to rise and go from this place, I just say, be like Jesus. Follow his steps. If he's too loving and he's too graceful, well, just be too loving and too graceful too. And guess what? A burden will be lifted from you. And anger will not be able to cling to you. And you will be able to move forward as the true person that Christ is creating you to be. Father God, I thank you for these people, for their love for you. If there's anyone here, Lord, who does not know you, who does not count on your name, let them come forward and join this family of faith so that they can be nurtured in the days to come to become the person that you're calling them to become, just like you're calling us all to become. If there's someone, Lord, who's trying to do it on their own, let them know that in the church, grace and love are present. And in the church... They can be loved too. For I ask it all in Christ's precious name. Amen. You stand and join in our closing song. If you need to respond to Christ, we invite you to do so.